life. Well, good morning. Welcome to H2O. It is uh, really good to have you here with us. My name is Brian Wiles. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, uh, I'd love to hang out with you, meet you after church, and it's great to have you visiting. Special welcome to those of you who are checking things out. And uh, we are actually launching into our summer series today. We're starting a summer-long journey that we're calling Unfiltered, and we're going to have a look all summer long at the book of Psalms. I'm going to tell you a little bit about what that book is all about, but I want to start off explaining the uh, title of that series, Unfiltered. When you hear that word, I don't know exactly what type of picture comes to your mind, but, but we thought of this idea of filters, right? When you think about filters, there's something that's fairly important in life oftentimes. You know, you have filters in a variety of, of different ways. You, you know, I'm a coffee lover, right? And so one of the things I do every morning, I wake up, walk downstairs, and one of the first things I do is I, I get the coffee filter, I put it in the coffee maker, and I make sure that I have the filter in there, right? Because if not, I'm going to have a bunch of grounds in my coffee, and it's gross. So the coffee filter, you know, it helps me to have a good cup of coffee. Our swimming pools, if you have a swimming pool, it has a filter. You know, uh, many different things in our life have filters. Or, or maybe you've been a part of a conversation, or you've been around a particular person, and you say this phrase, that person has no filter. You guys have a friend like that, you know? You're like, yeah. And so you, you sit in a conversation with that friend, and you're just on the edge of your seat the whole time, right? Because you know sooner or later that lack of filter is going to come up, and, and they're going to say something that's not exactly appropriate for the context that they find themselves in. And so socially, this is just a little public service announcement, socially a filter is a good thing to have. Maybe some of us need to, to learn what that's about, because what a filter does in our heads oftentimes there's thoughts that come in there, but we shouldn't always say those thoughts, right? And so a social filter, it kind of screens out some of the things that may come into our head that shouldn't be communicated verbally. And so it's really good to have a filter in life or in a conversation sometimes. I, I have another example of a filter. Now, this one's disgusting. I, I, I tried to figure out whether I was going to do it or not, and my wife, she said to go for it. So this right here is a furnace filter, believe it or not. This is a furnace filter that we found in this very building, okay? We were uh, moving in this week. We moved all of our offices over here, and so we went up into the attic, and it's like, you know, man, I, I wonder if this filters in the furnace have been changed for a while. So I start pulling out the furnace filters, and this is one of the examples we found in here. That's pretty gross, right? I mean, look at that. You, and, and the point of this filter, if you don't know anything about a furnace, is all the, the air that's, that's blown through the furnace comes into this filter, and what does it do? It catches the gunk. It catches the dirt. It catches the grime. It catches the disgusting things that, that we don't want to breathe in that you don't want to be part of your, your, your breathing process, and it's supposed to filter those things out, okay? And so filters are a beautiful thing. They're a good thing. They're a necessary thing in so many elements of life. But here's the reality. Sometimes we take that same mindset of having these filters, and we project it onto our relationship with God. Sometimes we say, you know, when I come to God in prayer or when I come to God and I'm just thinking about him, I need to make sure that I filter out all the dirt in my life. I need to make sure that I filter out all the gunk in my life. I can't be real with who I am before God. I have to make sure that I apply a filter. And so sometimes even the prayers that we pray, it's like we're sending them through this filter as we're talking to God. 
making sure that we say the words just right, making sure that, that the thoughts that we may not share in a social situation, we don't share in our conversation with God. And the reality is when we do that, it actually it, it prevents us from connecting with God on the way that he wants us to connect with him. See, when it comes to our walk with God, and specifically when it comes to our prayer life, we can live an unfiltered life. In fact, God wants us, God desires for us to have an unfiltered prayer life with him. And that's what the Psalms are all about. Uh, as we dive into it this summer, I think it's going to be amazing to see all these different examples of these prayers. That's really what Psalms are. There's 150 uh, Psalms, and Psalm is in the middle of the Bible. If you're not too familiar with the Bible, that's totally okay. And uh, when people say, open up to this book. Psalms is the easiest one to do because it's the biggest book in the Bible. It's pretty much right in the center. There's 150 of them, and each one of these psalms is a prayer written by many different authors crying out to God about a wide range of emotions, and they're unfiltered. They're real. They're raw. They're about what life is all about. And so we're excited this summer, and we're hoping to connect uh, with, with you. We're hoping that these prayers connect with our hearts as we are hoping to lead our church connect with God. I read this quote uh, as I was preparing for this message about the Psalms. I thought it was, was really interesting and good. It says that the Psalms, they express the common experience of the human race. Composed by numerous authors... The various psalms express the emotions, the personal feelings, the attitudes, the gratitude, and the interest of the average individual. Universally, no matter where you go in the world, universally, people have identified their lot in life with that of the psalmist. It's interesting because you think about these psalms and they, they resonate across cultures. They resonate across the world. Again, there's many different authors of these 150 psalms. A lot of times people think that King David wrote all the psalms. He actually didn't. He wrote about 50 of the psalms. And then there's many other authors, authors from all different backgrounds, psalmists, people that, that would write music during that time, and other people that belonged to David's palace would write these prayers and the people of that time would connect with them as they were learning to live an unfiltered life before God. And the range of emotions that we're going to go through throughout this summer, I think, is pretty cool and pretty exciting. There's different types of psalms. One of them is called a lament. You know, and a lament is when somebody has something deep on their heart, something painful that God is taking them through. And so there's psalms of lament where people are literally crying out to God and saying, God, how could you do this to me? God, why did you put me in this situation? God, why does it look like my enemy is prospering and I am suffering? God, where are you? It's a psalm of lament. There's psalms of celebration and worship, like we do here every Sunday, where we come together and we worship and we sing praises to Jesus. There's psalms that are about that. There's psalms of wisdom. In fact, the, the psalm that we're going to look at today is a wisdom psalm. And, and the wisdom psalms kind of teach us how to live and instruct us how to walk in the ways that God has put before us. And they're psalms of thankfulness. So there's psalms of lament where we're kind of complaining and crying out to God. And then there's psalms of thankfulness where we're saying, God, thank you so much for what you've given me, what you've blessed us with. And so I'm so excited as we go through this, this series and the book of Psalms together this summer. Think about this as, as we kind of go into looking at this first psalm. So much of the Bible, really all of it, other than the book of Psalms, is God's word written to us right? It's people saying, this is what God says about how this situation should play out or about how you should think about this. But the Psalms are a little bit different. The Psalms are actually our words, humans' words, written to God. 
And so, of course, it's the Word of God. It's Scripture to us. But at the same time, it's a different perspective where we're looking at these words that are actually human experience talking to God. And they're unfiltered, and they're real, and they're raw. And so the Psalms are going to teach us how to pray in an unfiltered way. And we're excited about that as we go through uh, the book of Psalms this summer. So we thought it'd be fitting to start off this series today, uh, this unfiltered series, with looking at Psalm 1. It's the, the first psalm, obviously, in, out of the 150 psalms. And to be honest, we're not going to go in chronological order throughout this whole summer. We're going to jump around a little bit. But we thought it would be fitting to start with the very first psalm because I, I think that so much of what this first psalm talks about is the heart of really all 150 psalms. And the big idea of Psalm 1 that we're going to talk about today is this, that following God leads to abundant life. But disobeying God leads to ruin. Following God leads to abundant life, but disobeying God leads to ruin. There's wisdom in that. It's a wisdom psalm, as we talked about. And throughout the psalm, we're going to see this comparing and contrasting. Psalm 1 compares and contrasts uh, between those who follow God and those who don't, and what the implications for that are. And there's this contrast between the righteous and the wicked. And what their lives look like and where that leads them and what that leads them to to look like inwardly and outwardly as well. So I'm excited to jump into Psalm 1 together today. But before we do that, I just want to pray. As we're opening up the series and we're starting off today, I want to pray that we would just kind of quiet our hearts and our minds as we come to God's word and that God would teach us something from this psalm. So pray with me if you would. God, we thank you uh, for just this book that's right at the center of the Bible that we get to look at and examine. And and Lord, we do pray just for our hearts as we come to uh, this book. It's it's different than what we oftentimes look at or study. There's a a unique element where where we're going to engage with the different emotions that that us as humans have. And so, Lord, we thank you. And uh, God, we ask that that you would give us wisdom as we come to this psalm today. We ask that you would speak to our hearts and our minds uh, as we open up your word. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys can open up your Bibles. You can pull up your H2O app if you want. There's notes in your handout as well. And uh, we're going to look at Psalm 1. We're going to stop three different times as we read through this psalm and see what God might have to say uh, to us through it. So Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 says this. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. And the first thing, we're going to stop right there, the first thing that I think the psalmist is trying to teach us, and God is trying to teach us through, this word, through his word, is this. Following God leads to true contentment and happiness. So following God is what actually leads to true contentment and happiness. What's interesting about this psalm, Psalm 1, is it says, blessed is the one who does not walk in the step of the wicked. That word blessed, the Hebrew word there, actually means happy. Happy or joyful or oh how joyful are the ones who do not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners. And so this person that, that is reading this and proclaiming this, we actually don't even know exactly who wrote Psalm 1, but the person who wrote it is saying, hey, if you want to be happy, if you want to be joyful, then don't follow the way of this world. Don't step with wicked people, but instead live for God. 
In fact, that, that word joy is a word that's you know, used oftentimes throughout the Bible. And there's this correlation between people who are following God that, that have joy. It's used over 150 times in the Bible. That word blessed uh, in, in the Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament is used over 600 times. And it's interesting because it's a topic that was discussed a lot. And it's a topic that still to this day we talk about quite often, don't we? When you think about what our world is fascinated with, when you think about what we, the conversations that we have, we talk about happiness quite often, don't we? In fact, I've probably heard the phrase, I just want you to be happy, so many times. It's almost sickening. I mean, that's something that we just say to people. I, hey, I hope you're happy. Hey, I, I hope that, that you're, whatever you do, I just want you to be happy. You see, much of what we built in our world is uh, around trying to answer this question. What does it look like to be happy? Is it even possible to be happy? And if so... How do we actually get this elusive happiness? Psychology, sociology, even much of biochemistry, it's built around this idea of this question of why are we not happy and what can we do to get a little bit of that happiness that this psalmist talks about? In fact, think about this. As I was preparing for this, I was, I was thinking about this and just trying to picture when this psalm was written. You know, it's three, 4,000 years old most likely. And, and so picture the world that this psalm was written in back then. You know, three, 4,000 years ago. It was not a very comfortable place in time, obviously, in many, in many cases. Maybe in the palace it was, but for the average person, there was no electricity. You know, there was no indoor plumbing. That was kind of a problem, right? There might not even be any toilet paper. Who knows? You know, um, it, there was no, there, none of the, the, the modern conveniences that we have in life no medicine, no cars, no planes. Life expectancy was much shorter. Life was hard. But it's interesting because as you read through the, the Psalms, they're asking the exact same questions that we're still asking to this day. And, and, and it's not like we can look at these and say, oh, well, we got that happiness thing figured out. Uh, our, our life, our technology, you know, it's totally made us so much more happy. In fact, as we read the writings of our ancestors, not just the Bible, but as we read other writings, it's hard to make an argument that we're any more happy that we're any more content than they were. We have iPads, we have laptops, we have cars, we have heated seats in the front and heated seats in the back now. You know, I mean, anything you can imagine, we have our hands on. And yet, it hasn't really led us to any more happiness. You could maybe even make an argument that as a world, we're even a little bit less happy than they were in those simpler times. And my point is this, that over the last couple thousand years, you would think that all of these advancements would make, that have made, definitely made life easier, would make us happier. But we haven't, and it hasn't. And so it's, asked, it's led many of us to ask the question, is happiness even possible? I mean, honestly, is it even possible? Is it even something that's worth pursuing? And, and the psalmist, his words that were written thousands of years ago are still true to us to this day. Yes, it is possible to have happiness. But it doesn't come from all those things. It comes from one simple thing. It comes from pursuing a walk with God. Let's read that verse again. Blessed or happy is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that the sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night. See, the good news is that happiness is possible and the secret isn't found in stuff or circumstances or even experiences. The secret is found in seeking God and delighting in his word. 
that simple formula that was given to us thousands of years ago that we departed from from time to time in the course of history is still the same that will bring us that lasting joy and contentment that we all desire so deeply. And it's available to every single one of us. Charles Spurgeon, he's a great writer and author, pastor, thinker. He says this, he says, It is not blessed is the king or blessed is the scholar. So it's not happy is the king or happy is the scholar or blessed is the rich, but it's blessed is the man. Blessed is the person. Blessed is the man or woman. Bless, blessedness. It's an attainable thing by the poor, by the forgotten, by the obscure. It's as attainable for them as by those whose names figure in history and who are trumpeted by fame. In other words, God is an equal opportunity lender when it comes to this idea of contentment and happiness. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter where you come from. He wants it for all of us. What matters is are we willing to pursue him because that's where it actually comes from. So happiness is available to all of us. But listen, this is something that's so important for us to realize. And it's hard because we have to keep reminding ourselves. I've heard this thought before, but it's easy to forget it. Happiness is always seen as a byproduct of seeking God. Okay, think about that. Happiness is a byproduct of seeking God. Tim Keller, he he says it another way. Maybe this is more clear. He says, happiness can never be found directly. Happiness can never be found directly. In other words, if we do that thing that so many people in our culture do that say, I'm going to pursue whatever I can pursue just to make me happy, you will not find it, believe it or not. And I think that that's pretty true. I think we can look around our world and see it. If you make happiness the goal, then you will never find it in a deep, lasting way. But if you make seeking God your goal, that's the thing that you're pursuing. That's the thing that you're running off as a byproduct. You're going to receive that love and that grace of God, and you're also going to receive happiness. You're going to receive joy. You're going to receive contentment because it's found as a byproduct from seeking after God. So first, we learn from this psalm that that happiness and joy comes from seeking God. Then let's jump back in in verse 3. It says this. That person, talking about the person who's pursuing God, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water and which yields its fruit in season and whose leaves does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. See, secondly, following God leads us to prosper. Following God leads us to prosper. In this verse, oftentimes, in these types of verses, they can be taken out of context or maybe even misunderstood. You know, sometimes people misuse this this concept. Okay, you know, whatever that person does, anything they do will prosper. And so sometimes people, they, they misapply this verse and they think the more spiritual you are, the more rich you should get right? And so the really spiritual people are rich. And if you're not rich, if you don't have your heart's every single desire or want, then you must not be praying enough. You must not be doing enough right things because it says the righteous, everything they do will prosper. And, and, and in this way, sometimes people can end up kind of treating God like this, this cosmic Santa Claus or this cosmic sugar daddy who just kind of oftentimes just gives you exactly what you want. Hey God, I need another car. Hey God, I, I need another, whatever the case may be. And sometimes people mess up this verse and they misapply it and it leads to some messed up, wacky theology that uh, sadly has worked its way into the church oftentimes. But that's not what this verse is talking about at all. What it means is you picture the context is this, this is written, written in the Middle East, right? 
you know, and so there's seasons of, of drought, there's seasons of dryness, and, and it says that a righteous person is like a tree planted by a stream of water, and so a tree that's planted by a stream of water doesn't have to rely on the weather, doesn't have to rely on the external factors to have life, to have hydration, right? A tree that's planted by a stream, its roots go deep, and, and, and the hydration comes from the roots that is coming from that stream that's, that's flowing close to the tree. And so it's not just dependent on whether there's a, a good season of rain or not. It's dependent on the stream. And so it won't wither. It won't, uh, it won't fade even when the circumstances, even when the weather isn't going exactly how everybody else needs it to go. And I think the analogy for us is that, again, our circumstances aren't what bring us this contentment. Our circumstances aren't what bring us blessing in our life. But instead... It's our walk with God. There's moments that, that we may go through drought. There's moments where, where, where our circumstances may actually not be playing out the way that we want them to play out. But we can actually live a life of prosperity. We can actually live a life of blessing. We can actually live a life of happiness. Even when the circumstances around us are fading away. If we're planted by that tree of the gospel. If we're planted by that stream of that, that living water that, that runs through this tree, this picture of this tree, it's a, it's a beautiful analogy of what our walk with God can look like. Have you ever caught yourself maybe saying out loud or, or maybe thinking in your head, you know, once I find that perfect person, then I'll be happy. Once I find that perfect relationship, that perfect guy or that perfect girl, then I'll be happier. Maybe for those of us who are students, once I graduate and get a job, then I'll be fulfilled. Or, or once I have a certain amount of money, then I'll be content. Or, or maybe once I have kids, then my life will be complete. Then I'll feel prosperous. Then I'll feel like I'm finally where I was meant to be. The reality is those things can bring some temporary happiness. Those circumstances can bring some, some moments of joy. But they'll never bring true, deep, abiding, lasting joy. That the Bible says is possible, but it's not found in our circumstances. It's found in Him and Him alone. That's what the Bible says that, that, that following God is all about. True joy comes only from one source, and that's from seeking Him. Now, I remember uh, those of you who know me, you know, I'm a father of three. Uh, my oldest is 10, and uh, I remember the night my, my daughter was born. I still remember it. It was one of the coolest moments, cool God moment that I had, you know. And so uh, Allison was born, laying in the hospital. It's this beautiful moment. And uh, I don't, uh, the, she was born sometime in the afternoon. I don't remember exactly. I'm a dad. I don't have to remember that stuff, right? Um, so I, I, sometime around the afternoon, it's all fuzzy. Um, but I remember that night, the first night we had her. You know, I'm laying in bed with her. And I just didn't want to give her up. Maybe, maybe you had that experience. You know, you can send your, your kid to the, we sent our, our other two to the, to the nursery so we could sleep. But with the first one, I'm like, no. You know, I'm just keeping her here all night long. So I remember laying in this bed over at the Wood County Hospital. Actually, it wasn't a bed. It was like a, uh, a chair. And so I'm laying in this chair, and I have Allison on my chest. And, and I didn't sleep hardly at all. I'm just like praying for her. I'm just having this like, you know, emotional experience that you have with, with having a kid. I'm just praying. I'm saying, God, 
protect this little girl. God, I want what's best for this little girl. God, I would do anything for this little girl. God, I, I just want her life to be so rich. I want her life to be so full. Dad, I want to be a great dad. God, I want to protect her. And as I was laying there, I remember God just kind of subtly like speaking to my heart. And I remember him, him laying this on my heart that that's great that you want what's so best for your little daughter. But if you, want, if you actually want to be the best dad you can be, if you want what's best for her life, don't worship her, worship me. You know, I remember God kind of laying on my heart, if you truly want what's best for her, give me all of your heart. Because that's what's going to make you the best possible dad you can be. Follow after me, that's what's going to make you happy. Because this moment won't last forever, and it didn't. And I look at her now, and I'm like, I can't believe how fast time goes. Time moves on, but God is constant. And so even this beautiful little baby, if I'm expecting her to be the source of my happiness, if I'm expecting a kid, if I'm expecting a spouse, if I'm expecting a church, if I'm expecting another person to be the source of my happiness, eventually, no matter how great or amazing that person is, it's going to lead to disappointment, right? We're human. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fail. But when we pursue God, we say, God, I'm going to give you everything I have. Then and only then do we experience that lasting joy and happiness that comes from him. See, Jesus wants us to have a full life. Jesus wants us to prosper. But he doesn't want us to confuse the objects of worship that we may have. See, when we worship God, we in turn are blessed. And that's where true happiness founds. But when we start to put other things in his place, even good things, Things like kids or spouses or, or possessions, which, which aren't bad at all. We can end up making idols out of those things. And we have these expectations on those things to bring us something that they can never bring us. Only God can. And so Psalm 1, this wisdom psalm is saying, put, the, put God as the primary object of your worship and everything else will surprisingly fall into place. And you'll be amazed that you'll receive a relationship with God and that joy that you're looking for even in the moments of hardship, even in the seasons of drought, you'll be like a tree planted by a stream. And then verse 4, jumping back in, says this. It says, Not so with the wicked. They are like chaff in the wind that blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. See, third and finally, we learn that how we live matters. Our lifestyle, how we live, actually matters. It makes an impact on the people around us, and it makes an impact on us. You know, we live in a culture and in a world, don't we, that, that has a pretty hard time with that word wicked. It's not a word that you hear very often, unless you hear it and go, oh, that's wicked, man, that's cool. You know, it's not a word, it's not a word that we use very often, is it? And part of the reason we don't use it that often is because we're confused. Is anything actually really even wicked? Like, is there really even, like, wrong or right? Because I've kind of been told that, that maybe it's just about your perspective. Or maybe it's just kind of about how you're feeling in that moment. We have a hard time believing that there is righteousness and there is wickedness. But listen, the Bible tells us that there is. And it doesn't matter whether we want to try to deny it or not. How we live actually matters because it affects our relationship with God and it affects the people around us. 
And it's interesting because so oftentimes our culture has it completely backwards. We're told, pursue whatever you want. Live however you want. There is nothing wrong. There is no wickedness. So pursue anything that you feel like pursuing, and that's when you'll receive this joy or this happiness that, that we all are looking for. But the Bible says no. That's actually not true. There are things that are true and there are things that are not true. And that is a thing that is not true. The Bible says it's opposite of that. Don't pursue everything that you want. Don't pursue what you're feeling in the moment. Pursue God. Which actually might mean that you may have to say no to some things sometimes. Wait, what? It actually might mean that there are things that aren't healthy for you. It actually might mean that there are times where all of us make mistakes and sin and fall short. And in those moments... God doesn't turn from us. God doesn't run from us. But we need to come to God and confess that and repent and say, God, I want to give this to you because I was running after my own self, my own pleasure, instead of running after you. And if I continue in that pattern, it's going to lead to destruction, not happiness. See, the Bible says our world actually has it kind of opposite. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us that, that we have such a hard time finding this happiness that seems so elusive. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes people think that, like, being, being a Christian is just kind of like, um, hey, you just kind of got to gut it out while you're here for your 70, 80 years, you know. Just gut it out, live a miserable, boring life, and then when you get to heaven, that's when the real party happens, you know. That's when, like, the good stuff comes, you know. But this psalm is saying, no, that's not the case at all. Abundant life, happiness, blessing comes from pursuing God right here, right now. Now, yes, it may mean we have to say no to some things that seem good in the moment, but ultimately those things will not lead to our happiness. They'll lead to our brokenness. And so the gospel is about abundant life right here, right now. Not just for eternity, but right now, every moment of the day. And we know that it's possible to pursue this because Jesus himself set the example for, for us in this. You know, Jesus lived a life where he had to say no. The Bible says that Jesus is actually tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus lived a life where his circumstances, many times, were actually not what the, the world would look at and say, well, that's your great life now. Jesus lived a life that had some pain and trials. But at the end of the day, he was faithful to God. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, even as Jesus was going to the cross, it says he had joy. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. See, Jesus' perfect obedience, it brought him joy. Even joy in a storm. Even joy in a moment of life when it's hard for us to even fathom or imagine. But Jesus was faithful in that happiness, that fulfillment he experienced. Says there was joy before him, and so he was able to endure the cross. You see, that is the gospel. That we serve a God who actually lived out what he's asking us to live out as well. 
that actually resisted temptation and came to this earth and lived a perfect life and yet was, was sent to the cross to die for our sins. And so if you're here today and you're in this spot where you're saying, man, I've been wrestling with that. You know, I want this, this joy, this happiness, but I haven't experienced it yet. The first step, the first opportunity for that is to say, God, I'm going to put my faith and trust in you and I'm going to put you at the center of my life. I'm going to follow after you day after day, even when it's hard, even when there's times where I may have to say no to myself, and see what your life looks like after a period of time of actually doing that. You might be surprised at how much happiness and joy comes from that. So we are excited this summer to journey together. This psalm was a a wisdom psalm that I think teaches us so much about how to live. As we go out throughout the rest of the summer, we're going to have a wide variety uh, of different prayers and psalms that that teach us and that that connect with our hearts and with our emotions. And one of the things that as I wrap up here today, we want to ask all of our church to do. We're going to kind of go on a journey together as a church this summer, uh, an unfiltered journey, so to speak. Uh, We put in your handouts this this Psalm 1 right here. It's just a simple piece of paper, um, but it has Psalm 1 right here. And one of the things we want to ask our church to do this summer is the, the psalm that we're teaching on, that we would pray through that psalm together as a church the week after. That we would take some time to pray through what God is teaching us from the psalm, the emotions that, we're, that God is asking us to experience. And so we're going to give you one of these handouts each week that has a psalm that we teach on. And, and we're going to just ask that maybe you put it on the mirror in your bathroom or you put it somewhere where you might look at it pretty often. And, and throughout the week that you would just be praying through this psalm. And, and I don't know about you, but some of you guys may say, well, I don't even know exactly what it means to like pray through a psalm. Uh, that's totally cool. That's, that's totally understandable. I remember when I was in college, I went to this conference, and usually the conference, like, you know, people get up here and speak and and share. Well, the speaker actually got up on stage, and he just had a quiet time on stage for his whole message. He just prayed through a psalm the whole time. And, uh, and, and like, it it was, you know, kind of weird a little bit, but it was kind of awesome, too, because I, I had modeled for me what it looked like to actually pray through Scripture and connect with God in that way. And so even as we close right now, I'm just going to take a couple minutes. And I'm going to pray through Psalm 1, as maybe I would do it, as I'm just spending time with God, to kind of model for you what it might look like. And we want to ask you guys to do that with us. And at the end of the summer, let's see if our hearts have been warmed more towards the gospel. Let's see that as we've experienced these prayers, that we're a little bit closer to God and his love for us. So I want to ask you to bow your heads and uh, and pray together. The band's going to come up right now. And uh, I'm just going to pray through this psalm as we model it, what it would look like for you this summer. God, Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that the sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditate on his law day and night. God, I have to confess, there's times, oftentimes, God, where I'm tempted to believe what so many people say. God, there's times where I am tempted to to sit with sinners. God, there's times where I'm tempted to have conversations that I know aren't what you want me to have. There's times where I'm tempted to, 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 Lord, just to to follow wicked ways. God, I feel that in my heart. God, I I ask that you would help me to cling to this. God, I want to love your word more. God, I want to be someone who, who, who meditates on your word day and night. God, help me. God, stoke a, a fire in my heart to, to love your word even more, God. 
Help it to be something I long for. Help it to be the primary thing that I think about. Help it to be the thing that shapes my decisions, the way that I, the way that I father Allison and Sam and Isaac, the way that I lead Sarah, the way that I lead this church. God, I want to follow you. I don't want to delight in your law. It's tempting to delight in everything that this world has to offer. Know that it won't bring me what I'm longing for. So God, help me. It says that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do prospers. As I think about my life, Lord, I have so many different things that are going on. Lord, I think about coaching soccer teams. I think about being a, a, a chaplain and working with a football team. I think about opportunities you, you've given me with the police department here. I think about being a pastor. I think about wanting to raise up men and women to plant churches. God, I want those things to prosper. I know they can't prosper on my own. God, help me to, to, to be like that tree that's planted by a stream. God, help me to, to realize that if I try to do this on my own strength, I'm going to have to just wait for the rain to come, wait for a good circumstance, wait to catch a break. But if I'm like that tree that's planted by a stream, if I'm relying on the gospel, God, every single thing that you've given me, every single opportunity that I have in my life, God, it's going to prosper. may not look exactly like what I want it to look like. Maybe seasons of where it doesn't go exactly how I would draw it up, but God, ultimately there will be fruit because it's of you. That's what I want. Help me to pursue that. It's not so with the wicked. They're like chafe that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. God, think of that, uh, that old hymn. It says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. But take my heart and seal it, Lord. But I know that I'm not above wandering. I know that I'm not above looking like the rest of the world. God, I don't want that. I want my life to matter. I don't want it to just be blown away in the, the wind. God, ground me, center me, remind me that, Lord, it can be so easy to to chase after wicked things, but, Lord, they won't last. God, I pray that you continually remind me of that. Lord, continually put people in my life that that will show me that, will, will point that to me, that will model to me what it looks like to live for you. God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the wisdom that there is in this psalm. It's so simple, yet it's so profound. And God, I, I want to live my life in this way. So I pray that you would help me and guide me and direct me. Amen.